0: Well, hello, everyone. I'm Steve Douglas, and I am joining Marshall Bolan, and this is In Good Will. This is our podcast where a conservative and a progressive get together and we have conversations about life and faith and how we put those things into practice. Thanks for joining us today. Marshall, how are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm good. Good to be here. Good. So what are we talking about today?
0: well today uh we are talking about something that is especially near and dear to your heart but it's also something that has connected us together uh it has really been i think uh catalytic in our friendship and the place where our two differing viewpoints tend to find congruence mm, um yeah and so we're going to be talking about restorative justice yeah. And uh, I know that's, uh, that's a big passion of yours. And so uh, I just want to ask you, I think right off the bat, if, uh, if you could kind of help define that. Yeah. When, when we say restorative justice, what does that mean? Right. And, and maybe what does it not mean?
1: Yep. Too? We can talk about both of those. Great. And the answer that I give is going to be my answer. And it's not the only answer. There are different feelings and opinions and approaches to what it means to uh, talk about restorative justice. And I know a little something about it. I have managed a a court diversion program for juveniles that was a restorative justice program. And I've given a handful of talks on the topic of restorative justice and gone to a convention or two about it. Um, But... Yeah, this is something to keep in mind that uh, what the way that I define it might not be entirely how other people define it, uh, but I think it'll be it'll be uh, canonical enough for our purposes. So, yeah, what is restorative justice? Restorative justice is an alternative to retributive justice or punitive justice, which is the model of addressing harm or crime that. Has been mainstream all along in our country, and is mainstream in most countries. A lot of the ideas from it are influenced by indigenous approaches from various parts of the world. But as far as you know, who's leading the countries and uh, the official federal approaches to justice? Normally, what we see is a punitive approach. And so I can define both of these things a little bit. And I think it's a good way to understand what they are, to think about the the relevant questions that are asked in the two different models. In the punitive, retributive style of justice that we're used to, the, the questions that are normally asked are, what rule was broken? And what does the person who broke the rule deserve for breaking the rule. What kind of suffering do we want to subject them to uh, in payment for them breaking the rule? And restorative justice asks these questions. It asks who was harmed by the situation and what needs to happen for that harm to be repaired. And is there anything that needs to happen for the relationships to be restored that, have been damaged by whatever incident occurred. So in restorative justice, there's more of a focus on the damage done in the person who's saying, hey, I've been hurt here, uh, what we sometimes call a victim, than there is in the punitive system, uh, which focuses on, let's try to convince this person who caused the harm not to cause harm by harming them. I'm being kind of snarky about it, but when you boil it down, I mean, that is kind of what we expect. So what a restorative justice approach looks like in practice is, uh, well, in the youth diversion program that I ran for a year, what would happen is uh, some juvenile would commit some offense like um, shoplifting or uh, f- fifth degree assault, and either the police would send their case to us, or they would go to court, and the courts would refer them to us. And in our program, if if the juvenile went through the program, the restorative justice program, uh, then they wouldn't go further into the court system. So they would avoid having any court on their record if they were sent directly from the police. And uh, if they were sent from the courts, well, they would have less court involvement that could negative impact negatively impact them in the future
0: that I could see as being really really helpful especially as we're considering you know California's overflowing um jails you know why are so many youth going to prison and you know basically all of the things that come out of the the prison system you come out of prison and it's almost impossible to find a job and you know you're you're not supposed to be um, singled out because you've got a prison record but we all know that people are nobody wants to hire a felon and right so yeah. then that person is left to what the rest of their life either being poor and destitute or Going back into a life of crime just to make ends meet.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's truly an undercast of society that is yeah. created by our criminal justice system. And so, yeah, uh, people are catching on to this and Minnesota is a good place for this. We have uh, a good statute here that allows these programs to exist. And so what it would look like is the the juvenile would be referred to us and we would meet with them. We would have a phone call with them and say, what happened? You know, let's hear your story. And then we would meet with them and somebody who was supporting them. Often it was a parent or sometimes a friend or relative. And then uh, we would also invite the person who was affected by their acts. Uh, You know, say the kid broke a window. We would invite the person whose window was broken to join in, in the conference. And they could also bring somebody for support. And then there would be a facilitator, like what I would do often. And what we would do is have a conversation about what happened here. We would listen to the person who uh, was affected, whose window was broken. And if they weren't there, we would try to speak on their behalf. Uh, We would often invite somebody who's just a community member to join us and talk about what kind of effect breaking windows has on the community at large and that kind of thing. And then we would talk about, is there anything that needs to happen here for this harm to be repaired? And uh, some cases, something would need to happen. In other cases, the person who was affected by the uh, breaking of the windows or whatever it was, they would say, no, actually just getting to tell my story and getting to know the person that broke the windows was enough. And I I don't need anything more about this. That's kind of a weird example. Yeah, that's a little bit of a weird example because it's kind of cut and dried when uh, damage has occurred. Like usually restitution of some kind is involved there because, Mm -hmm. you know, the person's windows needs to be replaced. Yeah, But um, a different example might be somebody who was um, referred to the program for fighting at school or something like that. And when you get the two parties together who were fighting and they get a chance to hear each other, in the best cases, they can move on with a restored relationship, and uh, we can avoid getting any punishment or court records involved in the whole situation.
0: Wow. So allowing people to kind of uh, get out how they're feeling, opening up a bit, can often de-escalate the situation and lead to a restoration or a an agreed upon outcome that leaves somebody not having to be punished and going to jail. But
1: yes. And I have seen many times it lead to a person who caused some kind of harm saying uh, now that I see that you've been affected this way, I regret doing that. And I'd like to not do that in the future. And we try to create conditions where someone can authentically come up with that attitude as opposed to feeling like they have to tell us, you know, what we want to hear or something like that. Uh, in a restorative justice conference, whatever is real, whatever is authentic is welcome. And, uh, we try to avoid any kind of pressure to, to say one thing or the other, try to create the conditions for real empathy to, to grow. Yeah. So,
0: uh, I bit my son.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, this is going to be
0: interesting. Um, Don't anybody call Child Protective (laughs) Services. Um, No, my, my son who was Three and a half, four at the time, um, was going around and he was biting his brother and sister regularly. And so it was becoming a habit. And they were hurt and they were angry and they wanted to punish him or to whack at him or, you know, whatever it might be. And, And so, uh, you know, we were trying to get him to understand that biting was not acceptable and that it hurt people. And he kept doing it, and it just didn't seem to get through to him. And so I finally asked him one day, um, you know, do you like it when somebody bites you? And and, he, you know, the concept was, well, no. But I said, do you know what it feels like when somebody bites you? And he said, no. Mm. And so I just took his arm and I just gently applied a little bit more and a little bit more pressure until yeah. he kind of went, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know. And yeah. so it was kind of like, yeah, this isn't pleasant, is it? And you're biting harder than that. Yeah. And so he's going, oh. So,
1: yeah.
0: It wasn't meant to be punitive, but it was meant to be, get some compassion here for the people that you're harming.
1: That's a great story, a great example. Um, And I've never heard a better example that kind of treads the line between punitive and restorative. Um, it, It gives me more compassion for what people have been aiming at all along with their attempts to punish in order to address crime. Because that, that was what your son needed to understand. That was his way of hearing the pain of the people who uh, he was biting, was to actually know what it feels like to be bitten. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think maybe what's gotten off track in our punitive approaches is that the, the meaning of the punishment has become so far removed from the act of whatever happened that it's just become this transactional thing of how much suffering do you owe just in general Mm. of suffering. And that doesn't actually usually lead to the person saying, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that I was causing other people to suffer. And now that you've caused me to suffer, I I don't want to do that. Uh, Maybe it needs to be more specific, like, like in your situation. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting because oftentimes inflicting things on other people comes from a place of already suffering. Yes. So in a former episode, we talked a little bit about um, my being bullied when I was younger and then forming my own little gang of bullies to go and select out um, the people who had bullied us. Right. And then harm them. And to us, that felt like justice. But All it did was assuage our egos. Right. I think sometimes when we feel that we're in pain or that we're not valued uh, by other people, it causes us to act out. Sure. And when we do that, then we create more pain and more problems for those around us. And so I think about um, young men who... Uh, grow up without a father figure um, and they're trying to find respect um, which we've talked about in a previous uh, episode as well Um, but they're trying to find respect they're trying to find uh, a place of belonging and they wind up in a gang uh, and doing more damage um, causing more problems onto the world in order to gain respect from the peer group and um, and then they're arrested and they're confined for long right. periods of time. Um, and they're
1: subjected subjected to uh, a, an even more severe lack of respect.
0: And violence within and the systems.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. So restorative justice is an approach that tries to address harm without creating new harm. That's yeah. one of the main pillars of restorative justice. How do we address harm? In other words, how do we stand up and protect the person who is victimized and let them have a voice while at the same time not making things worse for the person who caused the harm? Hmm. We want to make things better in general. Um, But the way we do it in our prison system here in the U.S., as I'm sure it's the case in a lot of countries, it obviously makes things worse. I mean, I don't know anybody who's gone to prison and said that's what I needed. you know, I learned my lesson, and I do know people who have been to prison yeah have you uh, i I know that this
0: isn't um, maybe specific to our situation right now, but um, have you ever watched uh, the the play? Les Miserables.
1: I've seen it, but I had trouble paying attention to it. Well, I was
0: just thinking that there's the main character's name is Jean Valjean. And uh, he um, stole a loaf of bread to feed some family members. And so he got, I think it was something like nine years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread. Sounds fair right and he tried to escape at one point and so then they put more years on so i think it was 19 years total
1: yeah
0: uh, off of really one loaf of bread and so the the play really examines how awful uh it is you know how unfair the system was and it's interesting because he's released now a much more hardened man A much more angry, broken, hateful, spiteful person. And, of course, he has these papers that don't allow him to eat anywhere or to get a job anywhere or to sleep anywhere. But he has to show his papers to everyone. Yeah. So he's a marked man. And he winds up... um, uh, Curling up near a, I think it's a church, and um, the the priest or the 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 vicar um, takes him in. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean tries to steal the silver that belongs to this this uh, church or whatever, and the priest catches him at it, and Jean Valjean attacks him bludgeons him doesn't kill him but but leaves him injured and then runs off with the silver but he's picked up by the police and the police bring him back and the priest says you left in such a hurry you didn't get everything that i had for you Hmm. and gives him more silver and the mm-hmm. police officers are like, what's going on? And then the, the priest says, let him go. Yeah, he's t- told you the truth, which he hadn't. And then he mm-hmm. goes up to Jean Valjean and he says, with this silver, I have purchased your soul back to God. Whoa. And he says, go and use it for good purposes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Jean Valjean goes and starts a whole new life. It's very convicting to him and causes him to rethink things. And he becomes a mayor of a city and uh, is building and shows compassion for, for these other people and adopts a young girl and you know all these things. And the adventures yeah. come out of that. And then there's this juxtaposition between a police officer who is used to the punitive side of the law facing he's been tasked to try to find this Jean Valjean and finding this man to be so changed which his training said could never happen right and Mm -hmm. just the the way that this all unravels is is really a spectacular story
1: wow Um, I'm gonna have to pay attention to that
0: yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's really worth it and uh uh the the point being that When we seek to actively care for another human being um, and restore that human being, and in a sense, purchase them back um, by our own sacrifice, um, which we would call redemption, you know, that's a Mm -hmm. biblical word for it, but it means buying back.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, I think it's a really powerful story that can change lives.
1: I do too. I I didn't realize that Les Miserables was about that. Yeah, in a restorative justice conference, there is space for the person who caused the harm to also talk about the ways in which they might be harmed themselves and responding to other types of harm. Another pillar of restorative justice is uh, that everyone involved has equal support and equal accountability. And that's really different from the criminal justice system that I would be involved in if I got caught committing some crime. Uh, I would be much more accountable than the system itself or the people who are uh, administrating the justice to me, administering. It's not the only way of doing things. It, it's possible to, to be protective and to get the needs met and the voices heard of the people who have been hurt. Well, at the same time, listening to the needs and the voices of the people who did the harming.
0: I really loved what you said about accountability. I I think accountability is a really big concept. Yeah. So much of our world seems to be about maintaining comfort and uh, saving face and avoiding real accountability. But I think if we embrace accountability and actually maybe take it on, as something that we try to practice, it really changes the whole dynamic.
1: Um, I agree. Yeah, so that's a good a good thing to talk about in relation to your question of uh, what is restorative justice not? Restorative justice is not uh, a lack of accountability. Um, just because there is support for the person who caused the harm, and just because sometimes the outcome is nothing more needs to happen here, that doesn't mean that there's no accountability. And in fact, in a restorative justice setting, the person who's been harmed has more of a say than they do in the punitive style. In the punitive style, you know, there might be an impact statement read aloud or something, but it's the prosecutors and the judge that come up with what's going to happen uh, to try to address this harm, whereas in a restorative justice setting, the person who has been harmed is saying, "Here's what I would like to happen. Here's what would repair and restore this situation for me."
0: Yeah, that's that is interesting, and and with a view to that, like there are sometimes I, I think the reason we have the criminal justice system we do have is to prevent overreaction from the harmed from the victims yeah um that they you know you don't uh escalate things by being retributive on your own and so you're supposed to have a blind justice system that uh holds everybody as equals and then has a law code that has specific already put into place um, repercussions. yep. And okay, that that sometimes can be a, uh, an okay concept because you don't want the overreaction from right. The other it's side.
1: better than pitchfork justice. Right,
0: right. But at the same time, I think so often we do things based on precedent that, really causes us to avoid really digging into the situation. And what you're talking about is digging into the situation itself. It's not uh, carte blanche across the board. It's this person and this person, right? This person harmed this person. Now, how do we come up with an equitable solution that both parties can in you know agree with right and restores the situation and creates balance again yeah and that is one of the things that i think is, is has brought us together in so many conversations is those kinds of concepts
1: yeah so can you talk a little bit about the, the biblical idea of restorative justice
0: yeah so Um, you know, looking at things from a biblical perspective, all people being image bearers of God. um, And so all of them um, having the same, in a sense, rights or the same um, uh, standing in God. And then So much of the law, uh, you know, the law of Moses, um, uh, so really looking at Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy, um, is looking at uh, how do we care for other image bearers? Based on the relationship we have with the living God and walking with him, um, then how do we treat other people? And so, uh, and, and Israel continually failed at this. And so prophets would come and remind them of, of God's will. And in Micah 6.6, 6, we have this probably pretty famous um, uh, phrase. And, and so Micah said, um, uh, you know, this came from God through Micah to Israel. But um, what has God required of you, O man? except to love justice or to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god yeah that's what god requires of you what what does god require if you boil it all down to do justice to be just to love with mercy and to walk in humility with the lord your god
1: yeah yeah. If, uh, oh, sorry. Go, you go ahead. ahead.
0: I was just going to say if, if we do that, if we take that on, what changes could that really make? Uh, if we were to view other people as image bearers of the living God and worthy of respect, that they're derivative of this ultimate being and worthy of derivative ultimate respect. What does that cause us to be willing to give up, even when we've felt harmed? Uh, how do I put away my desire for what It's my rights. M- my things have been taken. I've been harmed. Okay, yes. But how do you put that aside for a moment and recognize why that happened, how that happened, uh, what's going on inside the other person? What caused them to do this? Now, how do I respond differently than just being concerned about my own rights and my own loss? Yeah um, if if we could do that as human beings, because we value God and we value other people, and we don't value stuff as much. right and we don't value ourselves quite as much, our own interests quite as much, then I think it could lead to this restorative approach where so much of what we're being told in Deuteronomy is lift up the the hurt and the brokenhearted. Um, You know, give consideration to the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. Um, Give of your own increase to other people. How do you lift them up and bring back parity, bring back uh, equality between the two of you?
1: Yeah. I think in a restorative justice setting, it's important to have support members for each person, you know, the person who did the harm and the person who was harmed and to also have people from the community and uh, facilitators involved, because there are power imbalances and there are people on one or both sides who don't have that strong sense of a self to, to question or to put aside their own feelings of being victimized or whatever. And uh, a lot of people only see two options which is to submit or dominate Mm. it's important to have other people around to help with this but you you mentioned mercy that's something that jesus talks about in a really (laughs) radical way uh even going so far and i think it was a quote from the old testament right when he says that uh what god says is i i require mercy not justice
0: yeah not sacrifice not sacrifice mercy
1: not sacrifice yeah. And um, I, don't, I don't think there's much of a place for mercy in our current society. It's not something right. I encounter very often, mercy. No. no, And I think in this context, and you can tell me if this tracks with your biblical knowledge, but I think when we're talking about mercy, we're talking about mercy towards somebody who has harmed somebody else. Um, like, if you if you attack an innocent person, somebody might describe that as a merciless act, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone has caused some harm, and so that they, they owe something in some sense. Something needs to be repaired here, and mercy means that we're going to help them be able to repair that.
0: Yeah. And from a biblical perspective what we're told is that all human beings every single one of us have harmed god and each other that there is something broken and owed both to god and other human beings and that jesus has taken the penalty of those acts upon himself which is the ultimate act of mercy yeah, toward us. Yeah. Grace in the sense of unmerited favor, mercy in the sense of um, taking away the penalty, the punitive act against us. Right. And so that's why Christians would say Jesus is the only way, is he is God's act of mercy for humanity. Um, so that he doesn't have to hold those things that, that the Bible calls sin, which just basically means a breakdown in relation covenant relationship, um, uh, that we don't pay that, that he's already paid it.
1: So... I have a response to that that might be uh, a gotcha, and I okay. don't want it to be. And so sure. if, if, you, if it's something that you think we should cut out, I can cut it out. But my response to that is, uh, if somebody looks at this idea of Jesus is the only way to repay my debts, isn't it merciless if somebody grows up in a uh, a tribe where there's no access to knowing about Jesus and then they are somehow asked to, to pay their debts, whatever that means, uh, wouldn't that be merciless because that person didn't have a chance?
0: That is a really good question and that's something that's certainly debated within churches and um, a, a couple of thoughts on that. One is... Um, the Apostle Paul talks about our consciences. Um, our consciences know when we've done wrong, um, and and cause us to call out. Another another thing is that this is why it's important that there are missionaries. You know, um, and I know some people who are listening to this would say, "No, that's a bad thing. We don't want this to you know because we don't agree with this," but um from a christian perspective um if if people are going to be separated from god because they've broken relationship they're they're existing in a separated state from him isn't the most compassionate thing isn't the most right and restorative thing that we can do to go to them to point that out and to call them to him
1: so my take on this has been to look at it in a different light. That That's true. the the idea of Jesus's life having uh, an impact on us in relation to uh, bringing us all forgiveness that that describes an uh, an absolute aspect of reality. Mm-hmm. So. I don't look at it in the sense of Jesus is the only way, therefore, you need to read about Jesus specifically, but that there is, that God is going to be merciful no matter what. So, I understand if that's different from your outlook, but it is my yeah. outlook.
0: Yeah, I, I would just say that, that I believe that scripture is telling us the truth, that, that it is speaking from God. And that God has said that um, there there is a way, um, because we broke things. That there is one God, and He created covenant with humanity, and humanity broke everything.
1: And, and how, so, is, ahead, this is ahead. like a an original sin idea, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, how is it? How how does it make sense to you that? Uh, Someone who hasn't done any acts yet—you know, someone who is just born—has participated in the breaking.
0: So we would call that headship. That there is a, there was a cementing that was done of the brokenness of humanity when humanity broke things. In Genesis chapter three, it talks about um, Adam and Eve falling, them breaking the covenant with God and god basically set their sins into the future like basically took the things that went wrong in the situation and said this is now going to be your reality and the reality of of all the progeny that comes from you
1: yeah yeah I and think I so i can make sense of that in in my universal way um, we have our our nature and our nurture that is passed on to us and part of that, part of what we learn from our nurture and part of what comes out of us as a result of our nature is uh, tendencies to harm each other. Yeah. And that is not something that we have control over. Yeah. So in that sense, we we need mercy. Um, we need guidance to, to move on from that. And uh, we are going to find ourselves in situations where um, even even if we didn't want to, we have hurt someone. Yes. And so we're involved. We're involved in that way.
0: And so, you know, some some people will say, well, you know, um, they don't believe in original sin, that it's just people's sins themselves. But e- even if we were to say that, we all have sinned and fallen short. We've all broken yeah. broken our our care and our uplifting and our uh, honor of God and each other. Yeah.
1: So I would definitely like mercy for the harm that I've caused. Um, and I want that harm to be answered. I want, I want it to be made whole and restored. And I want to uh, pay restitution if restitution needs to be paid. But I also want yeah. mercy. Right. Right. And, and uh, I'm hoping that other people listen to what I'm saying and think about that for themselves. And yeah. think about the fact that in our usual way, our punitive way of addressing harm, there's not mercy. And wouldn't you like mercy? Wouldn't it be great if we could somehow get this taken care of without punishing you?
0: Yeah. And so that's the whole thing. Biblically, where this connects is, so God has said, look, because of sin, there's death. You're going to die. And that's your penalty. It is blood. Um, And think about when we're harmed, what is our reaction to being harmed? When somebody cuts you off in traffic, what's your reaction? When somebody steals something from your property or you uh, you bought a pair of diamond earrings and it got delivered to your front porch and somebody came along and stole it, what is your initial reaction? What do you want to do?
1: As someone who works with emotions, I've got to tease out a subtlety here. Yes, okay. So I, I think it's, well, speaking from my own experience, I used to think that the right approach to answering those questions was to try to not be judgmental, even in my thoughts towards people. Um, If somebody stole my car, then it was my duty to not have uh, protective thoughts about maybe I should uh, act differently in the future to prevent this, or I'm mad at the other person. I shouldn't have those thoughts. And now I'm 180 degrees from that. I think that it's helpful for us to have our adaptive feelings about protecting ourselves from future harm and anger and judgment are those things. And so what matters is what we do. Uh, right. So I can come to a restorative justice setting with my anger and with my wariness and with my plan for how I'm going to try to protect myself in the future and at the same time be open to this idea of Can we restore what happened without unnecessarily subjecting the other person to suffering just in some sort of transactional sense? Like they owe in suffering? It doesn't have to be that way. And it's not actually going to be satisfying for me. It's not even paying attention to me if we're pounding on the other person.
0: And that is what the Bible is trying to get across. Is it's trying to say exactly that? The eye for the eye doesn't help, right? The you know the retributive or or uh, punitive justice in the end is not truly satisfying, right? And yet it is ingrained in the human heart that when I'm harmed, I harm in return or I escalate that harm. Yeah. And I, in order to create protection for myself, I have to bring other people down. I have to denigrate them. I need to demonize them. I need to make them look as bad as possible in order to make my cause seem as just as possible.
1: Yeah.
0: And what God is saying is, no, I'm going to take on the penalty of what you've done. And so... Um, The the really powerful passages in Genesis talk about that God promises that one would come that would undo the work of the tempting serpent and the cemented curse that was put into place on humanity. And as you get into Genesis and he selects somebody from this family, um, this Abraham. And what he tells him is, I am going to make you into a nation. I'm going to do these things for you. Um, Not only that, but I'm going to take on penalties for you. And so there's this really powerful uh, symbol that's this ancient Near East covenantal symbol where God says to Abraham, go and take all these animals and cut them in half lay them open, let the blood pool in between. And this was an ancient Near East symbol where two parties would grab each other's hands and they'd walk together with a a symbol of their covenant. Like we still do covenant symbols with marriage. You know, we wear a wedding ring. So that's the symbol of this relationship. But so they grabbed the symbol and then they'd walk through the blood together. And what it was basically doing was calling a curse on oneself and saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, if I don't live for you and with you and care for you, if I fall down in that, may I become like these animals. May I be split open and my blood spilled out. And so Abraham goes and prepares this. He knows what's coming. He's getting ready to go and walk. And God puts him to sleep. Hmm. And God walks through the blood alone, carrying the symbols of covenant relationship. And what he's doing is he's calling a curse on himself. God is calling his own curse on himself. And he is saying, if either one of us break this, I'll die for you.
1: To me, that seems like God is saying, I... Understand that the reason you caused harm might have happened even in spite of what you wanted to do or what you were capable of doing.
0: Very much so.
1: And so, for my listeners who have an aversion to Christianity or to religion at, at all, this is what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> I know you might think I'm crazy, but there's so much good stuff that is so relevant to improving humanity that is contained in this biblical story. And
0: the amazing thing is that Jesus, God, came and did exactly that. He died in the place of humans to take away that sin because they fell short. That's mercy. That's grace. It's restorative It's meant to be redemptive, and it's meant to start undoing the cementing of that curse that happened way back when. Now, people may look at that and go, it's just a crazy story, but it's one hell of a story.
1: It is, and it's relevant. I I really recommend finding the sense that it makes. Uh, To me, there have been interpretations of this that didn't work for me that I've responded to or I've tried to not take them on or I've thrown them out, but the kernel of it uh, that can be applied to actual living can transform parts of our world, such as our justice system. If we take this attitude towards each other of mercy and um, understanding for the fact that sometimes when we commit harm, we might have committed mindlessly. We we didn't know how to not commit that harm. Yeah. And that this source that we all come from and that we all share somehow understands that and we can forgive ourselves and each other. Yeah. I want to be forgiven for the things that I've done. Yeah. Me too. Well, I forgive you. I don't know what it is you've done. You seem like a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> right back at you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's about an episode. Are there any further thoughts that we should get to about restorative justice?
0: Well, maybe, you know, when we're thinking about this, and, and I think we both come at this from two differing places, and we wind up in a similar spot. What do you think, uh, how do you think we can apply this Maybe as a starting place for conversations on kind of major social issues of our day.
1: I'm right on the same page with you. That's why I wanted to do this one after the masculinity, because I think it would be a good foundation for tackling abortion next time. If we you got come strategy, at, I like yeah, this. I, and for <laughs> listeners, I want this idea of restorative justice to be fresh in their minds when the next thing they hear from us is our conversation on abortion.
0: Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Um how do we apply these concepts to social issues? Things that would be normally a disagreement?
1: Yeah, well, okay. So, We're already doing it in our podcast because you and I are listening to each other. We're trying to give each other support and accountability equally, and we're trying to give each other a voice. And we want to come at these conversations in such a way that when you and I have problems with something that's going on in society, we want to address that harm without creating new harm. And so we can keep that in mind when we, when we get into the issues that are um, highly charged for each of us is that uh, we can try to listen to the harm that the other person is experiencing and give a place for that and look for ways that this harm can be repaired and the relationship can be restored as we look for ways to move forward given the feelings on both sides.
0: I think that is so helpful. I, I think about people in my own tribe who would have issues with, with uh, people from the LGBTQ community and would say, well, you know, why should we, why should we listen? Why should we, why all this talk about rights and you know, this, that, and the other, and you know, um, and and want to take political defensive stances. Nobody's necessarily asking them to agree with everything, but can they hear? Can they right. at least have compassion? Yeah, for people from the LGBTQ community. That's that's important.
1: Yeah, and it's important for in this hypothetical restorative conference for the LGBT community to be open to listening to the harm that their critics are responding to and reacting to.
0: And that goes for racial inequalities and it goes for police things that we're dealing with. And it goes for, uh, our criminal justice system and it goes for uh, how we get along with our neighbors and it goes toward how we get along with our workmates
1: yeah you know? yeah and so in future episodes i think it is important for us to actually have guests yeah for people to be able to be heard from their various uh areas of society uh, that we don't necessarily belong to and that would make it even more restorative that would um, be like the community getting together and so if any of you listeners would like to support us financially we have a patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash in goodwill all lowercase you can support us with monthly donations And if we get enough of those, we will have more bandwidth to uh, expand the podcast and reach outward and have more people involved and put more time into it. And I think for a lot of these issues, um, Steve and I are just kind of being spokespeople or proxies, but there are people who um, actually come from segments of society that we don't that might want to be heard on this podcast.
0: Yeah. And that that would make things much more pointed, Yeah, um, but maybe in some really healthy and good ways. I think so.
1: There's yeah. gotta be people listening who are thinking, yeah, but you, you're you not me. And well, we right. wanna hear you. We wanna hear yeah. from you. And uh, so help us build the podcast with your support and hopefully we'll, we'll improve as we go along and we'll get more and more restorative and have a, a larger community involved in these discussions.
0: Yeah, and and you know I, I think at this point I'd like to add something too that um, I've heard from a few people of, about well why didn't you make this point or why why didn't you stick to that or um, y- y- maybe some things have felt a little too relative or too uh, too much agreement yeah. um, and and I get that uh, and I would just want to respond that. Um, our point here is not to argue points. Our point here is to find ways to honor a person across the aisle, you know, from coming at things from a different worldview and lead to helpful, forward moving conversations and, and hope for good results that might come out for the good of all. And so uh, it, it, may feel sometimes like we're just too chummy for, for your tastes, but, um, it really is an intentional approach of respect and honor and, and love for one another that goes beyond our areas of disagreement. And I think we, we had a previous, um, uh, one that we had to redo right. because, we just felt like we hadn't captured that spirit well enough, and um, we got too much onto our points, and that's just not what we're trying to model here.
1: Yeah, I, I'm on the same page, obviously. We created the podcast together yeah. with this in mind, but yeah, I've heard a little bit of that too, from of feedback from people that I've talked to, and it's just, uh, it's tricky. Uh, you and I aren't yes. perfect at doing it. And uh, we're trying to introduce something productive into an area of life that has become uh, a recursive, vicious cycle that gets worse and worse. Yeah. And so we're trying to show up with our concerns, but also do it in a way where um, we can actually move forward and hopefully leave some of these conversations feeling more understood by the other person than we came to it as. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our intention is to get better and better at that. And hopefully we've done it. And hopefully in future episodes, we'll be even better at doing it.
0: And and that's why I do think having people on who are coming from very specific viewpoints can come into the situation, be heard, and we can model this in situations that might be a little bit more tense. Yeah. Be, because they're walking into, into this. Yeah. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Steve. Thank you, Marshall. Appreciate you, brother. See you next time. All right.